Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope your week is going well, focused in uh, self-care and self-love. As always, we want to destigmatize mental health, so we do that by asking everyone, how is your mental health? Now, that's a little bit better and different than saying, how are you? Because it's so traditional normative that most people just say, ah, we're fine. But when you say to someone, how's your mental health? Because it's different and it's targeted, people will stop and they'll actually answer. And what that does is it gets you comfortable sharing, it gets them comfortable hearing, it gets comfortable, it creates comfortability with us expressing and talking about where we are in terms of our mental health. That's how we help each other and we're all gonna get through this. Uh, got a great show planned for you though. We're gonna be talking about how to get people around you to take wearing a mask seriously. I know. And it doesn't mean shaming them, which eh, can have a little, can can work a little bit, but generally not the best way to do it. As well as talking about how to have sex if you're queer, how to have queer sex. There is something for all of us to actually learn in that. And uh, also talk about body modification. But right now, let's get into some uh, let's get into some news and some one-offs. This is a meme that's going around. This was hilarious. This came from a congressman out of Florida. He's a Republican. Hold on to your seats. Also very conservative. And he thought it was funny to list what occurs in the day of a leftist? Now, I'm a radical. Uh, I think we need to change a lot of the institutions. I don't think how they are is good enough where we just kind of move the deck chairs around on the sinking Titanic. So this isn't really referenced to me, but nonetheless, this is really offensive and stereotypical. So again, it's called A Day in the Life of a Leftist. And he says, number one, they wake up at noon. Okay, that's offensive, but maybe we do. And if we do this because we're confident, we prioritize rest. And we don't think that working ourselves to the bone is the way to move through our lives. We actually have self-esteem. So God bless it. Then he says they charge their phone. That, okay, yeah, because we use social media for activism and community building. Yeah, you're right, boo. Number three, McDonald's. Not my crowd. We're all vegan. We're plant-based. We don't do that. Number four, we twerk. That to me feels a little racist. So, you know, again, great white supremacist woven in there. Then we twerk on OnlyFans. Again, sex negative. That's right. We use OnlyFans because there's nothing wrong with masturbation, porn, or sex work. So thank you. You're right. Then we eat hot chips. I think that's a little racist as well. Then we boycott something. That's right. We have politics and ethics. And if something is problematic like you, that's racist. We boycott it. We don't support it. Then we lie. That makes no sense to me. Oh, you mean we believe in science? Okay, great. Then we claim to be pansexual. Thank you for mocking the fact that we are creative and confident enough to have diverse sexuality and we're healthy and we're authentic about it. Then we yell Black Lives Matters. Again, racist. Yes, we do. We support marginalized, exploited people, including black individuals. And finally, we shave our heads. That is ridiculous and bizarre. I, I have no idea what that's about. But uh, yeah, if I want to shave my head, boo-boo, I'm going to do so. So... You know, again, these things, 
themselves. Things can't write themselves. This stuff is so absolutely ridiculous to me. Golden Girls House. Ready for this one? You want to own the Golden Girls House, the original house that it was shot in? Three million bucks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Three million dollars for that thing. I don't know. Maybe a, you know, a big fan would be all excited about that. I don't mean to mock it. Also, this is great, a new social media study. It shows that um, social media for your source of news fosters a lot of conspiracy beliefs about COVID-19, which then actually inhibit health protective behaviors. I get that. Uh, you know, social media does have a lot of conspiracy theory stuff weaving around on it. Not always wrong, but a lot of the information on there is when it comes to COVID. And yes, that does lead to, pe lead to people not wanting to wear a mask. And that's really the red herring. Someone who doesn't believe in wearing a mask or thinks that the pandemic is a hoax, that's a, that's a big sign that they're not really acting from a place of intellect or science because there's not really a debate in the scientific community about wearing a mask or whether or not it's real. That's actually outside of that world and that's more some Republicanism. So usually those people are identifying as a Republican and that's a whole hot mess in itself. Also, um, we're talking about uh, Terry Crews. This guy's got a lot to say and he's basically putting down Pornhub. Now, Pornhub is being targeted because of porn, which is often linked to some people erroneously as being tied to sex trafficking, which it's not. Those are two different worlds, two different communities. But without people actually doing the research or the work, they tend to conflate and and you know blend the two. So he wants Pornhub def defunded. That's a source of income for some people, and there's nothing wrong with pornography. And that's part of the counterbalance to our sex phobic culture is having sexuality. All meet all media and art has purpose and meaning, and porn is no more problematic than a lot of the other things that we're constantly watching and engaging with in terms of social media, art and general media. So let's not overly attack porn because that has no more relevance than, you know, all the other factors. Um, sorry, y'all, I'm working from home and my little cat, my little love bug was uh, down... <laughs> down in the kitchen, not doing something very safe. So had to just check in on her. A uh, new study says men shouldn't drink more than one alcoholic beverage a day. Why does that matter? Well, we used to say you could drink about two or three. Now we're saying only about one. As you notice, the number keeps decreasing because we're realizing how problematic actually alcohol is on all the different body systems. And it's quarantine time and people are overutilizing. So we're, you know, we're being a little more thoughtful about it. But yeah, one, one a day, sit with that. We tend to actually even over pour. So I, I had to learn this. I was a wine drinker. I filled that glass up. <laughs> and then being out at restaurants and they'd pour it, I realized I'm doing two in one. So I was doubling up on everything. It's interesting when you pay attention to serving sizes, which what all these articles in science is talking about, but those are usually smaller than what we as a culture are talking about. So, um, yikes. Yeah, I know. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to tell if you need a mental health day. Everyone listen to this next segment. Take notes because this is something we've got to be talking more about. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG story and I'll be answering that later. We'll be talking about body modification. It's important stuff. It has bigger cultural and personal meaning than just slapping an image on your body. You know what I mean? But right now we're going to talk about how to tell if you need a mental day, a mental health day. Now, again, physical health, real simple, real easy, really blatant. We have a physical injury and often it's very honored. Mental health, it's a little bit more of a struggle. We come in and out of it. Uh, for some people, it's more chronic. It's often invisible. So it's hard for people to take it seriously. We can't literally see the injury and that makes 
people not want to take it seriously. And we really often advise people to just pull together, push through, where we wouldn't necessarily do that with someone's physical injury. And so we have to start taking mental health more seriously. And that's my goal. It's the purpose of this show and also my show I'm listening live, which is Thursday nights, all the radio.com handles, check it out. Uh, it's getting people to destigmatize, destigmatize mental health. But part of doing that, the campaign is about normalizing it, which means taking it seriously. That means I want bosses that are listening. I want parents that are listening and educators. Mental health matters. And when someone's struggling with their mental health, you should be giving it the same amount of attention, respect, and care that you do physical health. Employees need to be able to take mental health days off that are honored and respected. They need to be able to say, I'm having a very anxious or depressive or stressful day today. I need to cut out early. I need to limit my workload today, this week, this month, whatever it is, or I need my weekends off where you don't reach out. I need boundaries. I need to focus on my mental health. This stuff is real. This stuff matters. So, you know, again, we need to talk about mental health. Your mental health is your responsibility, but I want those around us to take it seriously too. I want more of a collective community-based perspective. So I do want those around us to care about each other's mental health, asking about it, asking how we can help, supporting it. A lot of the articles I looked at around this topic were overly individualizing. Like, it's just yours. It's no one else's responsibility. I don't agree with that. I think it should be more collective. I want us to care more and look out for each other. That's what I wanted to come out of this pandemic. So mental health days are about our, our degrees, right? And it's not always a matter of I'm having a mental health issue today or this week. It's also about I'm seeing myself working myself towards or into one. And so I'm trying to be preventative. I'm trying to not get mentally ill. I'm trying to not get burnout. I'm trying to not get overwhelmed, right? So it's not just or exclusively or only for those that are suffering from a mental illness or mental disorder. It can be for anyone that wants to really focus on thriving, restoring their well-being. That's how we take care of ourselves over the long haul. So how do we know that we need to focus on this? Well, first off, you're going to feel a little more chaotic or disorganized, more so than usual, right? That's a really big indicator, right? If your life is usually very structured, but now everything's kind of overwhelming you. You're feeling like you're running on fumes. You don't feel like you're at what, what you would deem to be your personal peak level of functioning. Small mistakes are happening. Again, disorganization. Things are feeling chaotic that, chaotic that normally weren't. You're not feeling really grounded. That's, that's one of the first signs is your normal baseline level of focus, energy, motivation. Somehow it's different. That means you're already there or you're almost there or you're on your way there. Okay, so that's the first piece. You have to know what your baseline is, though, to know when something's off. Then it's about exhaustion. If you're feeling exhausted all the time, exhaustion many days in a row, you're struggling with insomnia, right? Getting out of bed is difficult. You're still tired even after you've had a night's sleep. This could be a sign, your body sign, your brain, your psyche, your nervous system telling you that you aren't thriving you aren't getting your needs met and you're possibly going to burn out because right now you're possibly at or pushing yourself towards exhaustion, right? And that has global effects. Because again, I don't want us to valorize that and say, oh, well, you're just working very hard. I want us to say, work to the point of mental health. That should be the barometer. Working beyond the point of mental health should be something that I want us all to collectively support pushing back on or stopping when you've gotten to that edge. I have some dear, dear close people in my life that I watch work all day, 
at the office, come home and work all the way late into the night. There's nothing healthy about that. There's nothing that should be seen as good about that. That's not something we should normalize or compliment. They've exhausted themselves. They're working past the point of mental health, and that should be called out and supported by all those around them. I even want employers to weigh in on how many hours are my employees putting into the job. I think employers and corporations should take responsibility for whether or not they're pushing people to a point of beyond mental health or exhaustion. Yes, care. Ask your employees, are you working on the weekends? If so, how can I help you cut back. I want you to have your weekends off. I want employers, employees, family members, colleagues to support people having their weekends off and to focus on self-care and to have a point at which work is done and the phone's off and they're focusing on their family and resting and TV and dinner, right? I want us all to care about that. I don't want us to valorize quote unquote working hard if it's beyond the point of mental health. Mental health should be the barometer and the bar. Also, if you're overly emotional, that's what's really interesting, our emotionality, feeling hypersensitive, hypersad, everything's magnified, everything's amplified. That means you're over a limit. You're over your limit, you're over, you're stressed, you're exhausted, you've hit it. Emotionality. Also, if you're fighting with everyone, that goes back to emotionality, you're erratic. Because when we're exhausted or burnout out or our mental health is getting questionable, that's when we don't have the ability to ground ourselves and to regulate right? And so if you're constantly getting upset about things, constantly getting into fights, feeling very on edge, easily triggered, that means that you are absolutely at that point where you need a mental health day or a mental health week. Get that vacation time or talk to your boss, who I hope is a loving human being saying, I need time off. I need to do whatever needs to be done so I can take time off because my mental health matters. And mental health can then roll into your your physical health. And that's another sign. If you're starting to feel physical signs of sickness or illness, that means that you've absolutely overloaded your psyche and your nervous system, right? So you want to take note if you're feeling headaches, lethargic, muscle tension, stomach aches, chronic exhaustion and fatigue. I was starting to feel that, right? And especially when other people are starting to notice that. And that's at a point where you need to talk to all those around you and start to figure out how you can set some boundaries, set time aside, cut back on work, cut back on home responsibilities, and really start to replenish and build back that mental health. And again, if in your day or your week or your month, you don't have time to build in self-care and moments of joy, then you're absolutely not centering or focusing on mental health. And it's gone too far. So pay attention to that. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to have queer sex. And this is something that applies to actually everybody, not just people that are queer identified. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now we're going to talk about basically what what we're calling in the field queer sex. Now, I want to give some caveats and explanations around this. Now, when I use the word queer, I don't mean gay. I mean non-normative. I use queer in the academic political sense. It's a very much an academic area of study and a political identity, and it has to do with non-normity, non-normativity, creativity, and difference. And a lot of people, when they identify as queer, that's what they identify, the non-normativity. They could be hetero, queer identified or homo queer identified because hetero and homo are about the gender choice, same or opposite. Queer is a lens through which those two things happen. And so when I talk about queer sex, I'm just talking about non-normative, very diversified creative sexuality has nothing to do with gender choice. So straight people can be queer, gay people can be queer in my definition, which again is academic, psychological, and political. And the reason why it matters is general sex ed for everyone is just about penetration, it's often, often just about STIs and STDs, and it doesn't really focus on talking about the diversity of sexuality, romanticism, ways to be sexual, all the different safer sex practices, all the different genders and orientations, and that matters because that's how people feel healthy. That's how people feel normal. 
That's how they learn more about themselves and other people in the world, right? So we want to always be redefining what these words mean because our traditional understanding and training is limited and problematic. So remember, sex is more than just gender choice. Sex is, and our sexuality is the entire constellation of all the things that make up who we are. And that means everything from people that are asexual and aromantic onwards. So what does that mean? Not everyone is sexual. Some people's sexuality is more asexual, meaning they don't inherently have an interest or drive for sexuality. That doesn't mean sex won't happen, but it's not necessarily something that is centered in their life in the way that someone who's sexual is. So when we're talking about orientation or sexuality, that's part of it. Are you asexual or sexual? Then there's people that are aromantic or romantic. People that are aromantic, it's the romantic version of asexuality. They are not necessarily geared towards having an interest in dating or peer bond or pair bonding or romance. They might be sexual, but the romantic drive or interest isn't there. And they're often very confused just like someone who's asexual at the cultural obsession with sex or the cultural obsession with dating or relationships. And for people that might not often want or feel comfortable in relationships or monogamy, maybe you're more aromantic. Sexuality might be there or vice versa. You might not be interested in sex. You're more asexual or solo sexed, right? Because we can be solo sexed or partnered sexed. And as I'm talking, you're hearing all the different threads and dimensions to our sexuality. So if you're not interested in sex, maybe you're more asexual. Maybe you're more solo sex, more just about sex with yourself. But maybe you're interested in relationship and dating. So you're very romantic. You like relationship and dating, but not very sexual. And remember, someone could be pansexual, so like having sex with all genders, but but only homoromantic interested only in sex, I'm sorry, interested only in relationship with the same gender. So don't assume because of the gender someone dates or the gender they have sex with that the other applies. We can date all genders, but only have sex with specific ones, or we can have sex with all genders, but only date specific ones. Those are also different threads. And for those that are turned off by this or confused, it might not be for you, but this is for people that want to understand the specificity of themselves or their partners, or they want to feel more normalized because not everyone wants relationship, not everyone wants sex, or not everyone wants partnered sex, right? And those things exist and they're appropriate. Also part of queer sex, queer sexuality or sex education is understanding that we don't use the word virginity anymore. That's really pathological. That's the idea that when you have sex, usually something was given away or something was taken as though sex is some non-renewable resource or something we have to protect or something that's bad. It's not. So we talk about your sexual debut, that beautiful moment that we can't wait to have happen when you finally have sex for the first time. It's an awesome thing. Can't wait for everyone to experience it and hope it went great. Our sexual debut, we should congratulate people on having that. What a great, beautiful thing. Welcome to the world in that way. Again, virginity tends to have some pejoratives, some historical associations with it that we really want to get rid of. Next, we want to talk about the fact that sex is about pleasure. And a lot of times our sex education or sexual thinking is rooted in pregnancy, don't get pregnant, STDs, which is all fear and anxiety and procreation. But sometimes, generally, most of us are having sex for fun and pleasure. And that's the best time and the best reason to have sex. It doesn't promise a relationship or marriage or love. Don't have sex because you want love. Don't have sex because you want a relationship. Have sex because in that moment with that person, you want to have pleasure and some intimacy. That's all. It promises nothing more. Sex should include pleasure. Always seek having sex that is feeling good and with people that make you feel good. That should be the goal, 
right? And then of course, consent, but it's gotta be informed consent where everyone knows what we're doing and everyone knows what we're setting ourselves up for. And so if someone has an STI or an STD, you do need to share that with your partner because that means when they say they'll have sex with you, they've been informed. They have informed consent. They know what it means and what they're coming in contact with when they're having sex with you. And that's why we talk about who we are, what they might come in contact with, what we're looking for, because we don't want to leave people worse off from having had sex with us because ethical sex is sex that takes into account the impact it's having on everyone. Also, body part names. Just because you have a penis doesn't mean someone calls it that. Just because someone has a vagina doesn't mean that's how they see it. With people being non-binary and trans, often they use different names for their anatomy. Some people will also say instead of vagina or anal area, they'll say front hole or rear hole as a way to de-gender it or to de-eroticize it. So ask questions. What do you call your body parts? What do you prefer to have your anatomy referred to as? And remember, gender roles, just because the way someone looks in terms of gender presentation doesn't speak to the label that they'll be most comfortable being called. I know this is a lot. I know it's new terminology. That's the world we live in. It's constantly changing, new identities emerging. That's just how the world is. It's more diverse and queer and creative than we even realize. All of these things exist in the animal and plant kingdom. These are all natural things. It's only the human world that has tried to live in the binary of it's this or that only, only two options where the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the honest, authentic human kingdom are far bigger and more diverse than that. We'll talk more about these things, but this is just about respect, normalization, representation, and everyone just feeling cared for. Uh, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be doing some DMs, sliding into the DMs, listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Loveline and Dr. Chris, I've continuously struggled with making connections and being in quarantine has only triggered that feeling even more. I recently got in touch with a guy who ghosted me before and we recently hooked up a few weeks ago. All was good and the experience felt fine at that moment after. It seemed like we were both on the same page. But as weeks have gone by, I've been reaching out with very little communication back. Now I reached out again yesterday only for him to not respond. Am I a fool for expecting reciprocation? Now I know I'm a victim of double ghosting. I feel like somewhat of a fool for letting this happen to me, but to my knowledge, I was hoping things would be different this time around. I love this question. You got double ghosted. Yep, someone ghosted you, circled back and did it again. Listen, a couple things. Don't feel stupid. I tell everyone, we're gonna often get wounded because people aren't ethical with sex and dating. They don't tell us what they want. They don't communicate. Often we don't either. We often just make assumptions. We assume that if someone has sex with us or we talk for a few days that they're committing or wanting more and it'll go beyond that, and it doesn't. And we have to be open to changing and flexibility. And so we all have to be on that same page. So you have to ask questions. They have to ask questions. They need to be more honest. You need to be more honest. People are often showing us what they're looking for, but ghosting shouldn't be a real thing. Someone should write back to someone that reaches out. Hey, it seems like you're looking for more than I am. Was only looking for sex. Hope that didn't let you down. Take care. Be honest. Hey, I know we've been hanging out and and, and dating. Unfortunately, the chemistry's not there and I'm not looking for that anymore. Sorry if I hurt you. Be all the best. Take care. 
Tell people, if you're gonna have sex and date, you have to take responsibility and accountability for how you impact people. All these things are different kinds of relationship, not monogamous, not committed, but they're forms of relationality. They're relationships of different kinds, even if really casual, and we wanna take responsibility for that. And if you're not willing to have those difficult conversations, but also if you're not willing to ask those difficult questions, then you're not maybe ready for dating or sex. We have to be willing to say, hey, I often don't hear from you that that consistently. What are you interested in? Or, hey, it looked like we were really moving towards dating and you've backed off. Has something changed? Yes, I want you to have adult conversations. Part of being a healthy adult, part of sexual health, part of relational romantic health is asking questions, having those difficult conversations, being vulnerable. But never feel stupid. No matter how often you've been ghosted or injured, I will always tell you and my patients to stay soft, stay open, and to stay in the game. It is a numbers game. It is a numbers game where we keep dating and having sex until we find someone who wants what we want, who has the compatibility, and who likes us as much as we like them, and it takes time. It can take years, but the more sex you're having and the more dating you're doing, the better the chance is that you will meet this person. Sex can lead to more, dating can lead to more. You can start with whichever one you want, but if someone's not showing up in the way you're looking for, then compatibility is not there, and you secretly, lovingly, Honor that and back away and focus on someone else. I would say get on those dating apps. Now's a great time. Be talking to multiple people, being sexual safely from a distance with multiple people, giving them each time to develop, right? We don't relationship, we date to see if we want a relationship with any of these people so we can date multiple people at one time, slowly assessing chemistry and compatibility until we realize if it's there, that we then ask for that, and if they want what we want, then there we go. But don't assume monogamy, don't assume they want more, uh, having sex with you promises nothing more than they're interested in sex with you that night or that day. doesn't mean they want more. Ask questions. I want people to share their levels of interest so people aren't harmed. So don't feel bad about what happened. This person only wants to reach out every now and then. That's nothing wrong with that. They want something very casual. They reach out, you respond. That's what they're looking for. And if you want something more than that, go find that with someone who does. But compatibility is shown based on how much intimacy and closeness we want, how much frequency we want, how often they want to see us and we want to see them. It's not right or wrong. No one's bad for wanting more or less, but it's about finding someone who wants what we want. And if you have a lot of questions and you're feeling a little unsure, that's probably because you're not on the same page and you're not compatible and you're wanting something different. But more importantly, be honest. Have those adult conversations, but also ask those adult, honest questions. The responsibility is on both of you, okay? So stay in the game. Keep at it. It takes time. It's worth it, and now's a fine time to do that. But I'm sorry you were hurt, and I'm always advocating for people to be better so that dating doesn't have to be as painful and have so much wreckage. You know, so more ethics, more care, more compassion. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. Coming up next, we're going to talk about tattoos and piercings, body modification. It's important stuff. What does it mean on a personal and cultural level, and how is psychology tied to that? Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now we're going to talk about a really interesting topic that doesn't get brought up enough in terms of mental health. And that's the impact of body modification. And when we talk about body modification, what we're talking about is things like tattoos and body piercings. But we're going to zero in on tattoos. But you can really expand this to body piercings, uh, dyeing your hair, how you style your hair, maybe what you wear, um, different things that you carry or wear with you, kind of accoutrements. 
And, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of us don't feel control over our bodies. We don't feel like we can live authentically because we have gender norms, which tell us based on whatever our gender is or gender presentation or sex that we have to live it out in a certain way. Also, we have a lot of racism, which tells us that we have to follow more white or Western European fashion or beauty norms to be seen as beautiful, desirable, or professional, right? In terms of styles of dress and hairstyles. Um, so all these things kind of come together to make a lot of people not really feel like they have control over their body or that they're really living in their body in a very authentic, honest way. And then there's also individuals with chronic illnesses or disabilities where they often don't have control over their body because their body feels out of control because of the illness or disability or due to medical trauma or medical practitioners manipulating and controlling their body or due to having caregivers take care of their body. And so for individuals, tattooing and again, other forms of body modification and self-expression can be a really, really, really strengthening, powerful way to feel more embodied and to take control. So the first thing can create in terms of mental health is body ownership, that I am going to make this decision about my body. I'm going to choose what tattoo I get and where I put it. And that form of modifying and decorating my body is me finally having some control or asserting control over how I look and how I feel. And that can be very, very, very healing and very soothing. Also, it's about breaking through respectability politics, where a lot of people believe that if you have tattoos that you can't be smart or competent or professional or be taken seriously. Uh, whether your gender, you know, you're not you're not wife material, or if you get tattoos, you can't be seen as a real mom or a doctor if you have tattoos. And respectability politics don't let us live our truth, and it shames difference and diversity, and it ignores the fact that you can be an amazing mom, an amazing professional, an amazing doctor, and still have tons of tattoos. In fact, you probably are more you're probably going to be a better professional mom or whatnot because you have tattoos because of the way our culture is set up that you have the confidence and the strength to live your truth and to push through all that crap. That's a, that's a better sign. That should, it actually means more. Also, it's just a way to express yourself, what you choose, where you place it. It's a powerful form of public self-expression, especially in the, especially now that it's still marginalized. You know, we live in a culture where it's a little more acceptable to be tattooed, but it's still stigmatized. I've still been asked by people things like, am I in a gang by people from older generations? Or do you really show your tattoos while working in the capacity of a doctor? My answer is absolutely. While I'm on CNN or at a professional conference, I absolutely show them to show my strength, to show my truth, to show that you will take me seriously, even though I might have something that you choose to stigma or to, or to use to limit or depreciate who someone is. It also is a way to find joy in your body for people that haven't found joy in their body because they felt disabled or not good enough or not attractive or they've been stigmatized for being larger bodied or non-gender conforming or as a woman. It's a way to empower. It's a way to find joy, to use their body as a billboard for their politics, to decorate it. Also, it's a way to decrease shame, to say, I'm not going to hide anymore. The world's told me to be small. I'm going to be large. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to shrink down who I am. I'm not going to live in shame. I'm not going to allow myself to be marginalized. I'm going to actually stand out. And that's also where we can talk again about hair color and clothing. I'm, I'm still professional. I'm still a mom or I'm still a doctor or I'm still beautiful. Even though I have these symbols on my body or I'm wearing something that you traditionally see someone else wear or a different gender, or I'm leading from a place of sexual empowerment 
I'm, I'm using my erotic capital. I'm going to let my body be seen. I'm going to show off my body, whether larger bodied or not, gym bodied or otherwise. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to use my clothing or my body or my hairstyle or color to disappear. So again, it's about ownership. It's about control. It's about demanding respect, getting rid of respectability politics. It's about expression. It's about finding joy because not everyone finds joy in their body. Not everyone's been socialized to believe that their body has beauty and worth. And, and this is how we can train ourselves. And for some people, it's also about community building, choosing a minority style, a, 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 a exploited or marginalized stigma-based thing. And, and we connect with others around that. It's a way to signal to others that we're different or we feel that way. When I started getting tattooed at 17, had a very different meaning than it does now. And back then it was about being anarchist or queer or standing out or pushing back on rules and defying authority. And it still often is. And there's beauty and strength in that. There's a lot of mental health in that. Remember, mental health is not about conformity. It's not about following the rules. Mental health is about truth and authenticity and being yourself, feeling your feelings, feeling your truth, living your passion, right? And tattoos and body modification can be a powerful, beautiful part of that. I love that. I love when I see someone living outside the lines. That has more confidence and strength than someone who lives in, in, inside the lines. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to deal with people that don't wear masks. And it doesn't include mask shaming as much as we want to do that. Although it kind of indirectly feels like that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, we're going to talk about mask shaming. Such an interesting thing. And basically what it's about is understanding that screaming in someone's face <laughs> doesn't get a lot accomplished. It can sometimes. Uh, you know, some shaming can work, actually. It's not mentally healthy. You don't want people to internalize that. But we're in a pandemic. People still aren't following the rules. They're not worrying about how they impact others. They're prioritizing things before, you know, people's life. Uh, so first off, again, don't, don't, don't shame them. Don't insult them. Don't label them a COVID idiot. There's so many little funny buzzwords. Uh, name calling just antagonizes. It really just creates more aggression and pushback. It's not a safe space around which to try to educate someone or influence them or positively motivate them, right? Naming, name calling, and just screaming just creates a pushback. They go into fight or flight. A battle begins. Nothing's really accomplished. No one gets what they want. Um, don't be self-righteous or judgmental. Don't look down on them. You're not better than them. You might just be more informed or have more compassion, which is what is usually the case. And that's why you're willing to wear a mask because it's a minor inconvenience. If one, even at all, we get very comfortable with them. Yes, you can breathe. And, um, you want to try to communicate that. And so you don't want to villainize them, but I think it's okay to set boundaries. You know, it is okay to sit down and say, listen, you're impacting me because we live together or we're dating or whatever it is. And I need to know what level of risk you're engaging in, or we need to have a pact. I want families and people that are cohabitating to have pacts and rules and you have to trust everyone's following them. So on that level, it is okay to kind of weigh in to that extent, right? I want people to, to talk about that stuff. So what do we then do instead, right? Education is the first piece and we want to use credible information because some people are going to be swayed by science and you can talk about share or cite research that shows how if we did all wear a mask, I think I forget what the number was, but it was like for two weeks 
Just two weeks if everyone wore a mask, we could stop this thing dead in its tracks. It's a very minor inconvenience wearing a piece of cloth over your face for that small amount of time when you leave the house or around others. Sharing something like that in a very neutralized way makes it safer for them to internalize it, digest it, sit with it, research it further. So notice that I said the calm tone, using clear languaging and backed by science. It's very basic, simplify it, but you wanna use credible messaging right, and use science. That will work for some people, not everyone. You also have to think about people's intersecting identities, make it culturally appropriate or identity appropriate. Not everyone can have the same expectation. Not everyone can afford a mask. Not everyone has access to Wi-Fi to get the information. Not everyone's smart enough to not watch Fox News. Um, so we wanna make sure we're talking about it in a way that is understanding that people come from diverse backgrounds. There's so many different ways to style a mask, acknowledging some people have disabilities and they might need a different kind of mask. Um, but really getting away from things that are overly nationalistic or patriotic because not everyone is from this country, not everyone that even in the country is all about nationalism, like I'm not. I'm all about everyone getting the, their needs met. I don't you know, overly prioritize my country or my state. I think more globally, all lives matter in that respect. Um, so you know that, and then also lean into maybe talking about the impact that it could have on people they love and care about. Right, we talk about you know the natural inclination we hope that people have to want to protect people around them, people they care about. Let them know how they could transmit it to their loved ones, their family members. Talk about the vulnerability of their loved ones or their family members. You know, because that's part of what's going to get people to be willing to do the needed work is that they have to have care and compassion. You know, and you also want to empathize with their struggle. You know, like. It's, it's not, you wanna be compassionate and understand that this isn't easy for everyone. For some people, not wearing a mask is a way to not have to really deal with the, the reality of what's happening because they're scared or they're anxious or they don't wanna deal with the fact that they're misinformed or they don't have the money to purchase a mask. Like there's so many different pieces, but these things are simple. Uh, masks are easy. You can literally do every function you need to while wearing one. And so again, educate, don't attack, meet them where they're at, meet them at their level share love, care, and support. Let them know that you're trying to help them and to help them to help others. But you know, the name calling, the aggression, I get it. It has been hard for me while being limited to my, you know, access to things that are important to me out in the world. I'm, I'm following the rules and it's really hard to do that and to be missing out on things that are important and seeing people in large groups for long periods of times at house parties and birthday parties and all sorts of family gatherings. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm trying to protect you and that's why I'm staying home and you're out there not caring about me directly and indirectly. So I understand that that can give a rise to aggression and anger. And we're all seeing the videos of people literally attacking employees setting rules, family members, killing them, stabbing them, pushing them, shoving them, throwing things at them. It's a mess. And I understand again why it's such a trigger point for so many people. Other people's politics are feeling infringed upon. And that's why, again, we want to go to the key element of compassion and empathy. What is, what is the meaning in mask wearing or not wearing mask for that person? And understanding what the meaning is in it for them to wear one or not wear one helps us better understand how to talk to them about the importance of it. But do know it's okay to set boundaries. Hey, you can say to a friend or family member, it looks like you're not comfortable wearing a mask. And then you run them through everything we just talked about. And you can say, so unfortunately, I have to limit my access or exposure to you because unfortunately you're high risk and I don't feel comfortable with the fact that you don't wear a mask. You're allowed to do that. You are allowed to set a boundary and not be in close contact with that person. I, I, I advocate for people to do that if someone is a high-risk person not following the rules. I'm not spending time with a lot of people that I see that I normally might feel comfortable meeting outside six feet apart because of their lack of boundaries. I don't, I don't wanna come in contact in any capacity. It's also why I'm not holding clinical hours. I can't 
trust that every single patient in my practice is following the rules, even if they commit to doing so, to be able to be seen in real time. And I don't want to run the risk of getting contraction, uh, getting you know COVID myself, nor do I want the risk of being part of passing it on to other people. That's why I'm not holding office hours. That's why I'm not going to family events. That's why I'm not going to friends' birthday parties if they're throwing them still, right? And that's why I'm trying to hold people accountable, which we're allowed to do. We're allowed to set rules and boundaries and hold them accountable, but care and compassion. We don't attack. That just puts them on the defense. They push back further. They dig their heels in more. It never, ever, ever works. So... Remember that, you know, we, it's true. And they say you get more with uh, honey than you do with vinegar, you know, being sweet and open and safe makes pe- people more willing to stay connected and in conversation with you for you to get your point across, you know? All right. Coming up next question of the night. And then we're going to be doing some DMs listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time for question of the night. According to a new study done by Torch, three out of four Americans worry life will never return to normal after the COVID pandemic. 59% of people said they won't be able to share spaces in the workplace without fear. 63% say they plan to work remotely for the rest of the year. Another 64 said they won't be productive if they go back to the office because of stress and anxiety. Three in four think handshaking should be banned. Question of the night was, if your boss asked you to go back to work, in the office on Monday, what would your response be? I think we all should have this anxiety. So I appreciate 59% don't want to share workspaces. It's not safe to, period. End of story. It's absolutely not safe to. 63 want to work from home, and you should. If your boss is asking you to return to work, then they're putting money and uh, productivity before your mental and physical health, and you should absolutely say no. The research is saying it is not safe to return to work. There's absolutely no research saying that it is safe to go back to work. So I would... I don't know if your boss told you to go back to work, you should get a, um, an employment attorney and, uh, see what you can do with that. Because I'm telling you from a, as a public health professional, I want everyone to hear this. It is not safe to go back to school as a teacher. It is not safe to go back to school as a student and mandating employees come back to work, you know, which is really creating unfair duress because they need a paycheck. They need health insurance. It's very unfair and unkind. And you're definitely not looking out for them. Um, I, I can't, I can't believe that in the current pandemic with the numbers skyrocketing that people are being asked to return to work, it's heartbreaking, um, and definitely not rooted in mental or physical health. And as a, you know, public health professional, it's important that I say that. So heartbreaking. Uh, the question is, if your boss asked you to, to go back into the office on Monday, what would your response be? Here we go. Y'all someone said, I never left the office and I constantly have anxiety, but what can I do? That hurts my heart. You know, there's some classism in that you can't afford necessarily to quit or to set a boundary. I'm sorry to hear that. My heart breaks. A lot of people are feeling that. Um, I wish you were more empowered to be able to advocate for yourself. And I wish that the organization you worked for would look out for you like they want you to look out for them. And so I'm sorry to hear that. People are actually often more productive working from home. They can go at their natural energy levels. You know, too often people want you to clock in and clock out. They want a 40-hour work week, but no one can be that productive that long. And the studies show that when we can work at our natural energy rates, we're actually more productive. Um, Sorry to hear that, though. Again, question of the night is about your response if you were asked to return to the office on Monday. Someone said, yes, unemployment is running out, and at this point, I need something. So notice the pattern. People aren't doing it out of feeling safe or comfortable or cared for. They're doing it out of duress. 
and that breaks my heart out of it from a mental health perspective, any decision you're being forced to make from that place of anxiety and duress is not in service of self-care and mental health. And we have to start talking about mental health. That's why I do my show. I'm listening live to remind people to prioritize and center mental health, to inspire, you know, all organizations, school boards, corporations, the local government to really start to center people's public health. This is heartbreaking. I knew that this is what you guys were going to say. Someone else said, just wash your hands, keep your space. Don't touch your face. Keep your area clean. Don't agree with that. It's not good enough. <laughs> it's in the air. It's aerosols. And not everyone has good ventilation. And some people aren't able to distance. And most of the people testing positive right now were asymptomatic. It's not good enough, man. Uh, someone else said, hell no, in all caps. Sorry, boss. Yep, got my support. Someone else said, okay, come in at the normal time. Still feel sketchy, though. Oh, man, you guys are hurting my heart. Again, question of the night is if your boss asked you to go into the office on Monday, what would you say? And looking at the stats, 64% uh, said they wouldn't even be productive because of their anxiety and stress, right? And 63% said that they're planning on staying home. Twitter and some other companies have said, just stay home. I think that's the, the very loving, you know, socially responsible answer. So again, what would you do if your boss said, come in on Monday? Someone else said, I'm essential. I've been working through the pandemic and it's been really rough. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you have my full love and support, sending so much love and care to you. I'm so thankful that we have people that are on the front lines. Uh, I can't even imagine what you and your family must go through with having to quarantine after work and the long hours you're working and um, just you know around the clock being in those masks and the gloves and just having that added level of anxiety and stress to what's already a very stressful career. Question of the night, if your boss said, come back to the office on Monday, what would your response be? Someone said, please, I need money. I know. I understand that. I respect that. Some people want to go back, but again, for the financial reasons, again, that's duress, that's anxiety, that's stress. That's not an actual answer of yes, because I feel safety. Yes, because I feel taken care of. Yes, because I feel like it's the socially responsible thing to do because we know it's not. Um, so again, I wish we, I wish we had more options. Someone else said, as far as the question of the night, if they were asked to come back on Monday to the office, someone said, I quit. I'm putting my mental health first this time around before I would have said, sure, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Um, put your mental health first. Without that, we have nothing. Without that, we can't be productive. And that has to come before whatever it is. And I know that not everyone's in a privileged position of support or income where they can, you know, really put their mental health first. But I want to advocate for us trying to as best as we can when we can. Um, maybe send your employer some of the stats and the quotes from the CDC recommending that we socially distance and remain at home. Uh, someone else said, and we'll kind of wrap up on this one. No, laugh out loud. There's no amount of money that would bring me back in right now. And I appreciate that. I, I'm not going back into any public spaces. I'm, I'm definitely not doing, you know, my clinical practice in the office. I'm doing telemedicine. And uh, I've been really good about limiting my socialization. I'm not going to any friends events, even though people are still trying to throw parties and whatnot. It's heartbreaking. It's just not the time to do that. So anyway, sending out love and care to all of you through this difficult time. But again, mental health first, always. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I'm just feeling so unmotivated to do things right now. Between our president being a moron <laughs> to the COVID thing, I'm just tired. Is there anything or are there things you like doing? Are you, are, I'm sorry, excuse me. Is there anything or are there things you like doing to keep yourself motivated? Thank you. Uh, I feel you. 
The president's definitely a moron. COVID's making us exhausted, bored, frustrated, lonely, tired. Uh, to stay motivated, I'm doing a few things. I'm being very kind with myself, and I have the bar very low for how much energy I'm going to expel and how productive I'm going to be. Um, I'm just letting myself kind of be where I need to be and do what I need to do. So again, the bar's low. I'm not trying to be really productive. I'm not trying to do tons of home workouts. I'm just kind of like, look, relax and rest. Hopefully we'll never be in a time like this ever again. It's just a year. I'm going to use it to rest and heal. And I'm going to use the time to get more confident and comfortable and willing to rest. So I'm sleeping a lot, sleeping in, sleeping a lot, saying no to things, not checking my email or text messages, only responding when I want to, letting time go by, holding boundaries, focusing on self-care, taking lots of baths, masturbation, reading tons of books, cooking food when I feel like it, getting it delivered when I want, focusing on a lot of joy in my day. What have I done today? What can I do to add joy or fun? You know, things like that. Hopping on the phone a lot with friends, talking to them. So if you notice, all the things I'm doing are just things that feel natural, fluid, uh, comfortable. I want things around me that are soothing. So I'm not using words like motivated. I don't need to be motivated. If I'm not motivated for something, then it's not something I'm meant to do or something I have a lot of passion or interest in and I pass on it or I do it differently or I'll do it another time. I'm being very loving and compassionate with myself. And that's what I want everyone to be doing. Here's another one. Uh, Dear Dr. Chris, what are some tips for better communication about sex? Even though my partner and I have been together for almost two years, I still feel shyness when it comes to sex and how we can explore new things. Okay, a couple things. Number one, you get more comfortable by practicing talking about it. Start small, work up big. Just get comfortable talking about sexual things. Start like I tell parents to do with their children, honestly, by using the right words for sexual anatomy, you know? Start talking more erotically, you know? Start sharing when you're feeling aroused or horny or turned on. Talk about what you were thinking or feeling. Talk about your body parts with the right words. I also like, in terms of exploring new things, the yes, no, maybe list. Write a list of all the things you've ever been turned on by or want to try. Read it with your partner. Talk about the things you might be willing to do together, the things you wouldn't from that list. Maybe some things you would if you made some changes. Only do it with a partner, though, that's comfortable and safe and is sex positive and won't shame you. And on the receiving end, the partner should say, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that, whether I'm interested in it or not. But it's about getting more familiar with it. So I want you to encounter sex more by talking about it, showing it, seeing it, more nudity. When you're feeling aroused, initiate it more. So you want to hit all the senses. Talk about it more, hear about it more, see it more. Maybe invite your partner to talk about the kind of porn they like to watch. Watch it together. Make it part of your sex play. See each other naked more. Talk about trying new things like that list says touching each other's bodies, focus more on affection, sensuality, and eroticism. They're three different things that can blend together and lead to each other or they're on their own. So more cuddling, more hand-holding, more touching, more massage. Then you can do a little more sensuality. Um, all these different things, they feed into each other, they support each other. Just let sex be more present. It's always there. Sex is everywhere all the time. The way we talk, the way we think, the way we feel, what we, what we wear, what we do, what we don't do. So just expand, explore, talk about it, see it, share it, all those different things. It's good for you, it's good for them. It's part of being just more mature, you know, having more sex positive perspective. Um, but yeah, try all those things. Porn can be a great thing to do. Watch it together, talk about what you're watching, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you enjoy about it. Um, share your fantasies. So many ways to do that. And as each one of you does it, each of you gets comfortable hearing it, talking about it, thinking about it. Yeah, move through the world. Talk about the people you see that you think are attractive, what you might want to do to them. So let, it's a way to let people in. It's called uh, erotic empathy or sexual empathy. Learning how to understand and have 
uh, empathy and care and interest in the other person's sexuality that often isn't seen by you, or even things you might not want to participate in, but you value the intimacy building of learning about it. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. All of our past shows are uh, podcasted at wearechannelq.com and radio.com. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me, and you have a beautiful, beautiful night.